I'm Kerry Herford-Jones. Thank you so much for joining me for another in our series of Imray podcasts, together with the Royal Cruising Club Pilotage Foundation. Today I'm talking to Jeff Crowley, an RYA ocean yacht master who speaks Icelandic. He's also one of the volunteer skippers in the Able to Sail charity that offers free sailing experiences to disabled young people. He's also a director of Scotland's largest sailing club for leisure yachts, the Clyde Cruising Club. And in his spare time is the editor of the Clyde Cruising Club's Sailing Directions and Anchorage series, Firth of Clyde. Jeff, welcome to this week's podcast. Golden Day and Kerry. Well, that's, <laughs> that's as much Icelandic as you'll get from me today. But, uh, <laughs> pleased to be here, Kerry. And lovely to have you with us, Jeff. And you were saying uh, when we were talking just before this podcast, uh, just to set the scene, if you like, for the Firth of Clyde about how special a place it is to sail. Yes, it is really. Uh, I'm I'm originally from New Zealand. Some will detect that in my accent. It's certainly not a Scottish accent, though I've lived here for nearly 25 years. I'm originally from New Zealand, and uh, while that's a colony of the UK, it could probably claim to be the uh, the leading country of um, leisure sailing and even competitive sailing. And it has some of the best sailing uh, territory in the world. But uh, I find that Scotland has at least equal to anywhere in the world uh, in terms of variety and, and uh, excitement, uh, something for everybody on the west coast of Scotland. Well, I'm really looking forward to getting under the covers, digging under the covers uh, of your pilot book. First of all, though, uh, it's tradition on these podcasts to just find a little bit more about the person, apart from the introduction I've just given, uh, a little bit more about, if you wouldn't mind, who you are, Jeff, and your background to where you've ended sure. up today. Okay, sure. So I, I, I'm originally from New Zealand, as said, and, and I moved to Australia, f uh, lived in Western Australia for a few years. Uh, didn't like the weather there, surprisingly. It's great for a holiday, but it's too hot for long term. And we moved to Iceland. Uh, out of the frying pan into the wow. fire, no, into the fridge, perhaps. Um, <laughs> but actually, Iceland's c climate is not as bad as you might think. Like the west coast of Scotland, uh, it has a disproportionate or, or um, may perhaps uh, geographically uh, irregular climate due to the Gulf Stream. Mm. Brings a lot of warm water to the west coast of uh, Scotland and further north into the Faroe Islands and Iceland. And the weather in these places, although fairly well north, is much more sublime than people might otherwise imagine. So I moved to Scotland uh, and from Iceland. Uh, very few people claim to move south to Scotland for better weather, <laughs> but I did it. True, and, true. And uh, uh, even in Iceland, you know, leisure sailing is very popular uh, and there are, mar are marinas uh, on the both sides of uh, the western east coast of Iceland. But anyway, about 25 years ago, we moved south to Scotland. Uh, and um, I picked up sailing again and have been sailing the west coast of Scotland pretty much ever since. I have a, a Rival 32 myself, which is a nearly 50-year-old uh, fiberglass boat uh, from the early days of fiberglass keelers. Yeah. And uh, a very sturdy sort of boat, rather yeah. heavy, quite slow, but it's a very safe boat for sailing almost anywhere in the west coast of Scotland. Yeah. And they're a bit special as well. Yes, they are. Yes, yes. There's two or three hundred of them still in existence and quite a strong association. And I sail perhaps 2,000 miles, sometimes 3,000 miles on the west coast of Scotland every year uh, and a little bit further afield. So I go south as far as the Isle of Man and occasionally further if necessary, north as far as the northern isles of Scotland. Uh, two years ago I was across to Norway, although that was on somebody else's boat. Uh, and um, and I, I've got round a fair bit around this northern part of the UK sailing. 
I worked in the North Sea. Uh, I'm originally a metallurgist by, uh, by training, and uh, that's engineering in metals. And um, I worked in the North Sea for a little bit and then picked up in the industry of hot tip galvanizing, which is putting a zinc coating on steel to prevent corrosion. And that's what I've done most of my life. I also run a company called Knox Anchors, making leisure boat anchors. Uh, and in my spare time, I like doing woodwork and I make paddles and oars wow. and tillers, wow. uh, all for boats and, uh, and enjoy doing all of those things. I Goodness like writing me. and doing things uh, literary in that respect. And so right. that's how I got involved as a member of the Clyde Cruising ah. Club. Somebody said to me, uh, our, our editorial team is getting on with an average age of about <laughs> 80. Uh, <clears throat> we need some younger blood. And I said, well, I'm not that much younger than all of them, but uh, <laughs> I guess they, they've got 20 years on me. Uh, and so I joined the editorial team. And so uh, I'm doing my apprenticeship uh, over a few years with the older guys who uh, edit some of the other books. We have four or right. five different books with uh, in conjunction with Emre yeah. uh, covering each area. There's a fair bit of information. Clyde yeah. Cruising Club has a long history of doing this yeah. from about 1920s or something like that Gosh. of producing pilot books for the west coast of Scotland. Wow. And originally everything was condensed into one book yeah. uh, and there was a lot of information jammed into one book and almost no pictures, a few sketch charts and so on. Uh, and people knew that uh, that sailors would need to rely on paper charts and so on. But as uh, technology and various things have moved on, particularly mm. in terms of printing, uh, the books needed to be split apart into the different areas. And so um, a couple of years ago, I started working on the latest edition of the Firth of Clyde area book. We have books for the other areas around Scotland as well. Let's look at the, the book in a bit more detail. First of all, let's just uh, be absolutely clear about what area the, the, the actual book, uh, your pilot book, actually covers, Jeff. Yes, although it's called the Firth of Clyde, it actually covers a little bit greater area than that. So it starts at the Scottish-English West Coast boundary on the Solway Firth, uh, just north of Carlisle and so on, that area, uh, and, and goes as far as... Um, uh, the Mull of Kintyre. So mm. it covers the, the Firth of Clyde and a bit more and incorporates a little bit of Northern Ireland as well. So that uh, somebody taking the Firth of Clyde edition can certainly sail from the greater Glasgow area and uh, anywhere that's within a couple of days sailing distance of that, uh, including across the channel to Northern Ireland. And what about getting to the area? Where, where's the best jumping off points to actually cruise the grounds up there? Well, if you if you're if you're coming in and perhaps picking up a a, a, a rental boat, you know, a, a lease boat or a hire boat or something, yeah. then there's there's lots of avenues. There are three or four marinas that have railway stations within very short walking distance of them, uh, on the on the Firth of Clyde, mm. uh, and so there's there's good selection in that way. If you're bringing your boat to Scotland, there's oodles of marinas around the Greater Firth of Clyde area, and so we've got uh, marinas from any that would equal the best in the UK uh, through to those that are a lot lower priced and with fewer facilities. Mm. In addition, of course, if uh, if people are wanting, there's lots of uh, really good anchorages as well. Yeah, and we'll talk a bit more detail about those in a moment, but what about the actual time of year to come up and, and to cruise those areas? What, what was your recommendation, Jeff? I think for anybody coming to the area for, for a start, don't come before May. Uh, the winter isn't the time to be cruising the west coast of Scotland yes. and, and most Scottish sailors take their boats out of the water for the winter. 
Uh, it's not that it's impossible, and when I say most, certainly not all, uh, and there's lots of people go out and spend time, not this year of course, but uh, other years sure. they would spend time at Christmas time sailing on the west coast of Scotland. But the weather is much less predictable and uh, cold and uh, subject to a lot higher average wind speed. So start, start thinking about any time from May through to October and even into November. Uh, I, I put my boat in the water in April uh, and I take it out again in uh, October, November, even early December is okay. So there's just a few months, three or four months over the winter that it's not worth thinking of coming here, but any time in the greater period of summer, so spring, summer, autumn is, is okay. It's not going to be the Costa del Sol, so don't come, thinki- don't come thinking that you can come without wet weather gear. Uh, sailing in Scotland, you're going to get wet, and, and uh, there will be some cold winds. And if you come with that attitude of accepting that that's what it is, then you can find that actually the, the, the coastal inlets and all these different sea locks and so on can give you so much pleasure. It's mm. such an interesting area to explore. And let's face it, we are blessed these days with a plethora of information about the weather. Uh, but yes. as always, very important, lots of planning, keeping that, that plenty of information rolling in to choose where you're going to go and where do you, where, where you're going to sort of drop, drop the hook or pick up a boy or whatever the case may be. It, it's all about getting the forecasting, isn't it? Yes, and there's lots of different sources of that. There's uh, usual nav text that people can get. It's a bit outdated these days in some mm. ways, but it's still there and works. Uh, through to the other extreme, which is listen to Radio 4's uh, long-wave um, shipping forecast and inshore yep. waters forecast on uh, uh, from the BBC. But in between there, lots and lots of different private uh, enterprise systems of getting weather these days. Uh, and, of course, the Coast Guard, the most reliable mm. and, and yep. perhaps... Uh, um, secure weather forecast is the marine forecast that comes uh, via the coast guard so let's go into a bit more detail as to why should uh, people visiting the area pick up that pilot book of yours i guess it, it, it's it's a plus and minus here the the fact is that the west coast of scotland is is got a huge um coastline you know there's thousands of miles of yeah. coastline in the west yeah. coast of scotland there's loads of inlets you can sail for 30 miles inland uh, in Scotland, wow. not many places in the UK where you can where you can start in an inland location and Gosh. sail another 30 miles inland. Loch Fine, Loch Long, for example, these locks are, are long, so you can sail all day uh, and and not not be more than a couple of hundred meters from the land if you want to. So this intricacy of of these places uh, brings all sorts of things. Firstly, it brings some tidal gates. By that I mean a place where you really can't think about sailing against the tide unless you've got an extremely fast yacht. We have places on the west coast of Scotland with tides running at 12 and 13 knots. Uh, Now that's at Springs. So it's only a very fast yacht that's going to sail against those. But turn it around the other way and go with the tide and and, uh, your five knot knot boat is suddenly doing 15 knots over the (laughs) ground. Uh, Both of those have their issues. Uh, And knowing what's going on in those places uh, is important. Mm. It's a great historical area, and that means that there are places where there's junk lying on the seafloor. And you drop your anchor there and uh, find that you've hooked up with a World War II mooring chain for assembly of flotillas to go to the Mm. uh, Arctic Ocean or something and fight the the Germans. Then... um, you know, that you're, you're likely to get stuck. So there are places to avoid. There are things to avoid. And there are things to enjoy that you wouldn't find out about unless you read such a book. 
Yeah. So yeah. Uh, getting some sort of sailing instructions uh, is, is really important to be able to avoid the problems and to enjoy the benefits. And you've got a pretty active group of committees and different active groups up in that neck of the woods. So I was reading up about, you know, these days we're all used to parking and paying for our parking on the phone. You've actually got some systems up there now where people are actually paying for their moorings via their mobile. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Um, a, a number of places that run moorings. Uh, for example, quite a few hotels have moorings and their objective there is that they want sailors uh, to come along and moor on their mooring, perhaps for the night, uh, but come ashore and enjoy the restaurant and pub and, and uh, uh, some of the hospitality ashore. Uh, other places just run moorings and you can go along and, and without having to inflate your inflatable dinghy, row ashore, find whoever's responsible for the mooring yeah. and pay for them, or alternatively, ignore it and hope that you get away with not paying, uh, they've made it easy for you. So you'll find some moorings with a, with a, a PayPal number on it uh, and you can just uh, dial in the mooring fee on your mobile phone because there's reasonable signal on, on the west coast of Scotland. There's a few few patches where there is none, but uh, those sure. aren't with moorings. But you can so you can pay without leaving your boat, and that's a really great scheme. I think that's really enlightened. I think there's a lot of places out there that could learn from that one, Jeff. And the Clyde Moorings Committee, I know they're very active as well, talking there yes. about opportunities to use vacant visitors' moorings. Again, this is all joined up thinking, isn't it? Well, it is, and there needs to be some of that because uh, you know people pass on or lose, lose interest and so on, and if they've planted a mooring somewhere originally with permission and then they sort of abandoned it, we don't want all this abandoned moorings hanging around the place because people might be inclined to use a mooring that isn't safe other people would want to anchor there and we want anchorages available as well as mooring fields so so there is an overall body the Clyde uh, moorings committee that that takes in the information from the various places that arrange to to uh, to allow people to put moorings quite a few of the yacht clubs for example the Royal Gurick and the Royal Northern Clyde yacht clubs have mooring grounds for the, that they manage themselves and for example, again, uh, there are others, the Royal Gurick Club's moorings just off their clubhouse are managed by Gurick, but through the Crown Estate who, who they pay a fee to for the use of the, the sea bottom. Mm. But what, the, what this brings is discrete little groups of people with moorings. And so this overall ah. committee, the Clyde, Clyde Committee, right. that uh, brings all of this together mm. and uh, um, coordinates it in such a way that it's a bit better organized. It's joined up, as you say. Yeah. But there's a further thing, and that's that there are places where it's not sensible to put moorings, but people might take it in their mind to, let's start a mooring in this area. Uh, and so things like planning permission and uh, mooring applications come before that committee as well to comment oh, on. Okay. So they get an input into allowing or not allowing the, the development of mooring fields. And, and that just keeps some common sense to it. It's not there to be bureaucratic or, or restrictive. It's there to be sensible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, let's face it, it does pull also in the environmental issues as well in terms of what's does, on the yes, seabed. Yes, and, there are and, places in... in Yes, and we have, uh, would you believe, we've got coral beds on the west coast of Scotland, uh, and some people wouldn't Gosh, think that there was, you know, know, people that. think of coral as uh, the Great Barrier Reef in Australia and places like that, but there are cold water coral reefs, uh, and there are natural oyster beds uh, in the west coast, and there are various different sorts of conservation areas. Of course, we, we mention all of these in, in the uh, sailing direction so that people sure. are aware there are places where it's not advisable to anchor. Mm. Now, we've, we've resisted 
the need to have regulations that uh, prohibit things, but it's much better to get people saying, "Yeah, I agree. That's that's sensible. Let's pre let's preserve that pristine bay in there, and we don't go and anchor there." And and so if people have got the information, then they can make the sensible decisions. Yeah, I think you're right, Jeff. I think it's about shared responsibility and people wanting to be part of that. And it is. You, you referenced there earlier about the thousands of miles that you do every year in a normal year. Uh, yes. It, all your research for this pilot book, uh, not just undertaken by yourself, but, but clearly you go to a lot of these places personally to do the research. We do, yes. But also our members do that. And while our members are not all editors of the, of the uh, pilot books, they're all contributors in their own way. And not only the members of the Clyde Cruising Club, but other clubs as well. So the, I, I guess there could easily be 100 or 200 email correspondences uh, with each edition of each of the five different um, sailing direction books that we publish. Wow. Um, there's loads of phone numbers of, of uh, um, restaurants that you might go to, uh, but also marinas and com uh, you know information about them. Which which channel on the VHF do you call that marina on? Yes. Uh, yes. What, uh, failing that, what's their phone number and what lights? What times are they open and what are the uh, entry lights and so on? And all these things ne need checking. Yeah, so do. there's a lot of checking and a lot of cross-referencing with people. And some of our members have particular interest. For example, this last summer, I know it wasn't much of a summer for most people sailing, but uh, one guy who sails mostly alone spent two weeks in one little area researching right. the tides uh, in, in an area that has an unusual tidal flow. Uh, and while it's not covered by the Firth of Clyde book, it's another book, uh, th that's an example of people spending some time doing the things that they're interested in, yeah. but these things all feed into the information that, that becomes the resource of a Sailing Directions book. And when you've got, in parts up there, as many places have challenging areas, it's about the quality of the charts that you're basing some of this stuff on. And you've got yes. some, some really good, strong charts up there, haven't you? Some big We have, uh, yes. Big uh, charts. One, of our, one of our members uh, uh, is a, uh, um, an amateur hydrographer, I suppose you would say. Uh, what a hobby to have. Wow. So he, this is a guy with a motorboat and uh, a dinghy like no other dinghy. Right. Uh, he has a, he has a dinghy which has uh, side scan sonar, uh, uh, very accurate GPS. I mean, accurate down to about ten centimeters. Wow! Uh, and um, depth sounding, uh, and and a series of tidal flow meters. Right. So this guy will go and anchor in a bay or an anchorage area, uh, and he drives his dinghy backwards and forwards, feeding into the computer that's on board his dinghy. Uh, so right. here's a dinghy with a computer and side scan sonar and all these other instruments and so on. Gets all the data into his computer, then goes back to his launch and right. uh, plays with this data and produces detailed hydrographic charts. Now these are detailed Goodness. to the level that nobody else has ever seen before. Wow. And and so these charts called the Antares charts, named after his first boat, the Antares, right. which of course okay. is the name of one of the navigation stars yeah. uh, in the firmament. So his Antares charts made by Bob Bradfield uh, have covered something like about 800 of the favorite anchorages on the west coast of Scotland. Wow. So now you can find these detailed charts. Now these also integrate with other chart systems. Right. Uh, and on my chart system on my boat, for example, as soon as I cross the line between an Admiralty chart and one of Bob Bradfield's Antares charts, yeah. it just automatically changes to that chart mm -hmm. and it's high resolution. Uh, and you can get 
uh, depths uh, like you've never seen before. And because he's doing it from a dinghy, he goes yeah, right yeah. to the beach. Yeah. So you've got it right down to zero depth. Goodness. Um, and uh, at, at a resolution Goodness. that hasn't ever been seen before. He must be finding things that probably have not yet or hadn't been discovered. He must be finding yes, some and f- Yes, he is. And, uh, and uh, there's uh, several examples even in this Firth of Clyde book where uh, there's a rock, for example, on the island of, in a little bay on the isle, off the island of Little Cumbry, which is not far from Largs on the west coast of Scotland. Uh, he found a rock there with half a metre depth in it. Now, that's not much. Goodness. Half a metre at low tide, lowest Goodness. astronomical tide. Not on any of the Admiralty charts. They hadn't seen it, picked it up, because they're not uh, looking for that level of detail. But it is right in the path of somebody going to the anchorage if they happen to come from the south. Um, so that's... So he, he keeps in league with the Admiralty, and that's now on the Admiralty charts, whereas it didn't used to be before. So one of their sources of information also is other people pointing out things and saying, did you know there's a rock there or a hole wow. over there or whatever it be? This is fantastic. Absolutely insightful. Brilliant, Jeff. So let's go and uh, take, a, uh, take a trip on your boat uh, to some of your favourite spots. Let's talk about a couple of uh, top harbours or top anchorages that you would recommend, particularly, first of all, for new skippers? Yes, okay. Well, typically new skippers are, are going to be starting at the Upper Clyde area. Sure. This is in the area around um, uh, Greenock and so on. Uh, pe- people that are not familiar with the area might think, well, what about starting at Glasgow? Glasgow is about 25 miles up the Clyde River. Mm. So there's a, there's a long, narrow river passage to get down to the, to the ocean proper into the top end of the Firth of Clyde. But uh, there's a nice little anchorage um, just just a little way sail, you go up the uh, Kyles of Butte, as it's called, around the north side of the island of Butte. Yep. Uh, and there's this little anchorage called Kala Harbour, C-A-L-A-D-H. It'll be a Gaelic name, uh, Kala Harbour. Uh, and this nice little anchorage, it's only big enough for maybe four or five boats, uh, a little bay protected by an island across the entrance. So there's a north entrance and a south entrance, both Super. well marked. Nice little bay there, a couple of nice landing spots that you could go ashore oh. with, uh, and um, absolutely fantastic place. Protected from almost all weather, nice little anchorage, and uh, lots of people have gone there. Oh, that's um, perfect. Only maybe 500 metres away, half a kilometre uh, away, is another anchorage called uh, Wreck Bay. Uh, and while right. the name doesn't sound very inviting, <laughs> Wreck Bay, uh, it's actually a clean bottom bay with room for, well, I've seen pictures from the 60s when there's been 30 or 40 boats anchored there. Wow. These days, uh, it's not uncommon to find 15 or 20. Okay. Um, great shore place, uh, a little a little uh, bothy, that's a small sort of uh, shack type thing that somebody's yeah. built on the beach. It's yeah. an uninhabited area, so there's no nobody overlooking you from their house or anything like that. It's totally uninhabited. This this little uh, bothy in Wreck Bay is the, is the scene of many a barbecue. Perhaps during the summer there's somebody having a barbecue on the beach every oh, winter. Wow. Uh, and, and a great landing place and a great place for sailing small boats uh, or any boats. Now these are in very protected waters. Yeah. Uh, in these sort of waters, um, there's almost no time. I mean, you could safely sail in a force-eight gale. You wouldn't because that wouldn't sure. be sensible, but right. uh, you're not going to get mountainous seas and all these mm. sorts of things. You're going to get some strong winds, and because of the mm. land, they're going to be the wind will be edit- eddying around a bit. But sure. uh, the, these are nice, safe anchorages, and there's plenty of good forecasting to know what's coming in the weather. As we said, that's the point, isn't it? Anywhere else yep. for, new, for new sailors? 
Yes, um, going a bit further afield, then uh, there's the the inland locks in the in the uh, in the Clyde area, going into Loch Long. Uh, now, there's a few things here to be aware of. There's a, some military installations there. There are um, quite often to be seen some um, Trident uh, nuclear submarines. Oh, yeah. So these are things to be aware of. But there's plenty of uh, information about that. But you go past this and into, into Loch Long, and uh, there's some really nice sailing along this very long loch, uh, a long way north, and you can sail up there. Loch Fine is even more interesting, in my opinion. Um, and uh, these are all within a day's sail of uh, the, the, the larger marinas in the vicinity of uh, Inverkip and Largs and so on. Wonderful. Okay, so uh, that's uh, some really good starters uh, for ten there. What about then those of us with a few more miles under our under our keel? Where, where do you think uh, the, the challenge is well well rewarded when you get there? Okay, so sailing south, I think uh, the Northern Ireland's a great place to go, and that's covered in our in this book of instructions as well. Mm. Um, okay. So sailing south, you can break this into two days if you like, but you could sail in a day from any of the larger marinas closer to the greater Glasgow area south, and you could get to, say, Campbellton. Now, this is a small old town, a uh, couple of distilleries there which are of interest. Always handy. Uh, and a few other, uh, a few, yeah, a few other things of interest. Uh, nice little marina. Uh, you could stop at Campbellton, and the next day you can sail around past the Mull of Contone across the North Channel, uh, and you could go to uh, Belfast or places further north, perhaps Glen Arm or Ballycastle, uh, even to Rathlin Island. Now, these, these places require you to go around the Mull of Kintyre. And this is a fairly um, exposed bluff. Uh, it's not, um, what's the word? It's not dangerous necessarily unless the weather's bad. Okay. Uh, and if the weather's good, it's fine. But you do need to pick your tides. Sure. The tide uh, races around through the North Channel at Fox. And so you need to get some instructions that tell you what the tide's doing so that you can plan this voyage. But there's an interesting island called Sander Island uh, that you can stop on with a, with a good uh, anchorage that's protected from the prevailing winds, uh, which is right there on the way, and you, then you can continue the journey. This island, Sander, has, has a lighthouse on it, uh, and it used to have a population of one. Right. Uh, these days, nobody permanently living there. But with a population of one, it also had a, a small hotel and a, a pub and oh a restaurant goodness. with a population of one. And you think, oh, how can I do that? Well, yeah, in the yeah, summer, yeah. the population grew to three um, because uh, the guy who lived there and ran this uh, pub with, with draft beer, by the way. Goodness. Uh, and people would come even in small boats like ribs from Northern Ireland to go to the pub for the day and then go back again. <laughs> uh, and you could have a meal there. Well, it doesn't exist anymore. The island was eventually put up for sale and somebody else has bought it and it's private, but you can still stop there and anchor. And of course, you, uh, in Scotland, uh, we have an advantage over further south in that we have what's called the freedom to roam. Ah. In other words, you can almost think of it like that the uh, the, the word uh, trespassing doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> now, you have to be sensible about this. People don't want others traipsing through their front garden. Okay. So there are, there is some law to protect people about that sort of thing. But you sure. can walk. You can land anywhere and just walk. Now, there are, there are very few exceptions to this. Military areas are one of those exceptions. Sure. And the common sense exception is don't walk through somebody's garden. Indeed. Uh, but you can, you can roam across Sand Island and discover lots of ancient things. There's an ancient chapel there, and there's ruins of another one. There are places where 
people have been wandering for the last more than a thousand years uh, of recorded history, um, looking at things and seeing things and, and uh, building things and living there and so on. Sand is a, an island like that, a nice little lighthouse to go and visit, uh, um, a nice little island to, to explore some of the history. So that's a bit further afield. And of course, once you're in the North Channel, then the mm. rest of the West Coast is all north of you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's a fantastic place to explore all the way to, to Cape Roth. Uh, poorly named, in my opinion, because uh, uh, it, it's not such a wrathful place. I have yet to go around it, but perhaps I'm looking at the weather forecast. I have yet <laughs> to go around it when it's been really rough, but I, I've been around it a lot of times. St Kilda is a fantastic place to go. Triple World Heritage yeah. uh, Islands off the west coast, 40 miles off the west coast of uh, Scotland. And if you're really, really keen, there's always Rock Hall to go to, another 200 miles west. It's actually almost due south of Iceland, the, uh, the east coast of Iceland, and it's a long way out in the Atlantic. Wow, but another one to tick off the off the off the list there, Jeff. Definitely. Yes, I did a I did a sponsored sail. We took two boats out there three or four years ago, and we sailed from uh, from um, Inverkip round Rockall and back. It's only a thousand miles. Well, okay, you were sponsored though. It was <laughs> yes, you had and we raised a lot of money for a for a sailing <laughs> charity that takes disabled kids and their families out sailing. Feedback and, and knowing that what you're producing and what you're putting in your pilot book is what people want. Jeff, getting feedback on that. Yes, we invite feedback and we get it. As I said, we, we perhaps get uh, 100 or more emails for every edition that we put out. Uh, people write in and say, see that phone number you've got there for that hotel? That's not right anymore. <laughs> that feedback is important. Yeah. Uh, we would pick it up perhaps eventually, but other people have given feedback. And for example, the uh, we've just been talking about rounding the Mull of Kintyre. Uh, in this edition, we completely rewrote the instructions for the Mull of Kintyre. And that was as a result of people's feedback. People said, I don't really understand it the way it's worded. And part of that was historic. Because mm -hmm. we've been doing these uh, Clyde Cruising Club sailing instructions for so many decades, it's easy to think that all boats do four and a half knots. Indeed. Good point. And so if you say, if you leave Campbellton at that time and sail around the Mull of Kintyre and get to Gear, now this is an all-day sail, yep. expecting that that boat's going to do four and a half knots, yep. uh, and somebody comes along with their boat that can race along at 10 knots, mm. uh, then it, it's a bit meaningless to them. Yep. So it's now been rewritten to say, um, here's, here's a key waypoint, aim to get there at Right. As opposed to yep. leave from at a certain time. Yeah, so, so it's joining, so joining, is, joining the dots a bit more. That's right, and, and so this makes it more flexible for any boats to, to be able to use the instructions because not all boats are sailing boats at four and a half knots anymore. What's the, uh, what's the, what's the biggest challenges for a pilot book editor these days, Jeff? Keeping up with the changes. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that's just it. There are so many different sources of information. Yeah. You know, the, the sorts of variety of information that we're putting in here comes from so many different places. So some harbours are privately run. Uh, some are run by uh, ferry companies. Some are run by, um, uh, you know, the local authority. Uh, different uh, mooring grounds are run by different uh, organisations and so on. So there are so many organisations that we need to get in touch with to find the latest detail sure. uh, you know it, if a uh, a marina happens to be on a uh, a place um, for example like Ardrossan there's a marina there but it's also a ferry terminal and so the ferries uh, tend to have the most say in the pilotage voyage and the light system 
uh, because they're the most sensitive user to it in terms of safety. They're carrying hundreds of people as opposed to one or two on a boat. Uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it means that there's different people having influences over what you can see and can't see in the way of lights and buoys and marks and so on. But sure. we need to keep up to date. Uh, and that's an example that uh, one I mentioned uh, in this current book that Ardrossan changed its light system. So as you come in there, uh, it's much more adaptable for a ferry these days or much more usable for the ferry. But um, you need to know, even if you're coming in on a canoe, uh, to know <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. what, you know, where are the lights and what do they mean? Yeah, you do, you do. And uh, this is where it's a network. This is a team effort. This isn't just about one person going to all these places. You need yes. this continual feedback all the time. That's don't true. You? And 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 some of this feedback comes from those organisations. For example, um, the Peel Ports, who who run the uh, the Clyde Port area, send us all of their notices to mariners so that we can keep up to with the play because they're advertising these to commercial interests. They all mm. also tell us of what's course. going on and most of these other uh, uh, organisations do that as well. So we get all of this information and assemble it. In addition, what we do is, uh, because we only print these books about every three or four years each edition, sure. um, and then, then do a complete revision again, but what about the changes in the meantime? We keep on our website uh, changes to the sailing instructions where they, when and where they arise, so that people, in fact, we put them in the same format as the print, so if you really wanted to, you can print them out in your printer, cut them up, sellotape them into your book, and there you've got the up-to-date book. Which is where it's at. That's always the win. That's always the win, keeping up to date. Yeah, no, I suppose people would also say, well, yeah, but I don't like books. You know, I've got, a, I've got an iPad and I've got a phone and I've got this. And who wants to carry paper charts and paper books and so on? Well, I can tell you the Clyde Cruising Club's uh, sailing instructions books never get a flat battery. They never run out of charge. Uh, if you drop them in the sea, same thing happens. You lose them. But you can also get them uh, electronically as well. Yeah, that, as I say, that's the win. They're available on all devices. Yes. Jeff, is there anything else that, uh, particularly obviously about the, the Firth of Clyde pilot book, is there anything else that we haven't talked about today that perhaps we should have done to, to get across what it's all about? Not that I can think of. I think uh, read, reading, reading the book is, is, yes. a, is a, it's a good read for the winter, actually. It is. Uh, and along with, uh, I spend far too much time in the winter time thinking about what I'll do next summer. Uh, and I've got about five journeys already uh, voyage planned out. And I, and I get the instructions out, even though I'm an editor and on the editorial team for the other books as well. Um, I still get the books out and say, now, what was the tidal gate there? Yeah. What time does this tide start? When does the flow start uh, westbound? Uh, what was that marina that I could go to? And yeah. what were the things that are on the way that I could look at and not look at and, and steer clear of and so on? Nice. So great winter reading to, to plan the voyage. And even if you don't get there because of something that comes up like this year, um, where many of us have not even been able to put the boats in the water then Indeed. Uh, in the last summer. Th this is a great companion to the sea. Well, I think so too, Jeff, and it's been an absolute joy talking to you today about uh, your pilot book, The Firth of Clyde, the one that you're responsible for, the one that we're talking about today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Yes, I have. Thank you. Thanks once again to Jeff Crowley for joining us today's Imray podcast together with the Royal Cruising Club Pilotage Foundation. I hope you take time to listen to another of this series as I meet up with more of the people who research and contribute to the many books, guides and charts that Imre produce. 